Come one, come all, and listen all to the backhanders. We here are bringing you all the ins and the outs from this great game, the game we call tennis. We cover each tennis slam and are still unafraid to slam that very tennis. My name is Lightning, and with me a man who likes his tennis players just like his coffee, black and strong, Catters, Catters, welcome. Lightning, great to be with you. What an open. I never doubted it. I never doubted it for a moment. Please don't listen to the previous two episodes. Tennis has been the real winner, Lightning. Uh, Oh, no, wait, I'm wrong. I've been the real winner because I predicted both eventual champions from the outset, feeling rather good about myself, managing to predict the wild card of a player, not not officially a wild card, but loosely mm. describing that term, Bianca Andreescu, and less wild card Rafa Nadal, but feeling pretty good about myself. I'm not getting too carried away, but I will be launching a, another podcast in parallel with the backhanders where I just give general predictions about market trends, buying bitcoins, <laughs> which of your children to bank on being more successful, all of those helpful hints. I don't have a title for it yet, Lightning, but I'll be open to uh, input from all as long as it kind of gives me the necessary kudos, given the fact that I'm on a hot streak right now. Mm, And you've been bloody happy about it. And we look forward to your podcast, The Truth About Catters and Jobs. I think that'll be um, bloody sensational. (laughs) What, the fact that I don't have one? (laughs) Immaterial, my friend, immaterial. (laughs) Podcasting has been a registered trade since 2017. But Kat, as I have been loving watching your celebrations, you are pretty chuffed with yourself and I get that. Like you, I, I'm pumped. I didn't have quite the same success in my predictions, but how could I not fall in love with this second half of the US Open? I had to go out. I had to buy myself a burger, supersize it, <laughs> deep fry it, deep fry it again, yes. drank the oil from the deep fryer just to do something to celebrate. So the fact that you messaged me saying that you just literally couldn't get off the couch, was that for physical reasons or being captivated by the action you, you saw unfolding? Yeah, I was swimming in my own fat. The heart palpitations were partly due to the tennis and partly the cholesterol levels. And yet I was loving it regardless because if you had told me at the start of the Open that Rafael Nadal would win and that Serena Williams would be in the final, I would have thought we'd be in for a pedestrian Open. But somehow, due to some fantastic characters in our midst, we had a fantastic closing to to what, what had been a pedestrian Open but finished epically. So I look forward to unpacking that with you in this particular podcast episode, Catters. Yeah, I'm totally upbeat about the US Open. I'm I'm a fan. I think it should definitely be considered a Grand Slam now. It was, uh, for a while there, it was floating somewhere between uh, the tournaments of Hong Kong 2 and Hong Kong 3 on my radar, but (laughs) it's elevated itself. The play's been awesome. There is nothing better, Lightning, than the modern gladiatorial coliseum or calaceum, as the Americans like to refer to it, of Arthur Ashe Dump, where 20-odd thousand people are just literally sitting on top of the players on these super, super high stands. It looks 
amazing as a spectacle mm. and don't the Americans love it? Oh, it's incredible. You get the impression a lot of them have shown up not really knowing what they're signing up for, but they're in the mood for for entertainment. Absolutely. You can't help but feel as though, as you said, they don't know what sport they've rocked up to and I wouldn't be surprised if most assume it's wrestling, the way they behave. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're standing ovations every two points. It's heckling every player. They, they literally get there and decide which one of the two they're going to boo and they that, that's who they go with. It's no surprise that we've had Djokovic's, Federer's, Medvedev's, Tsitsipas's turn on the crowds because they're not used to just having this crowd that wants to throw peanuts and popcorn at them for a whole yeah. two and a half hours of tennis. I can actually defend the crowd when it comes to this because when you're sitting that far up, I've seen some of those camera angles and from the nosebleeds, from right up top, you cannot distinguish between the two players. You can't even distinguish that they are humans from that height. So you need some action. I mean, you remember when you were at primary school and you grabbed a magnifying glass and you were burning ants. You weren't particularly fussed which ant was going to fry out there on the concrete. And I think they have a similar attitude towards the players out there. They just yeah. want to see fireworks. Whichever one ends up lying on their back and uh, spontaneously combusting, then... <laughs> Oh, and many did this tournament, Cadiz. And let's I want to find out who who combusted, who blew up, who got through, who survived, who who rose to be the queen ant in this tournament. So Cadiz, let's unpack it, let's hear what we're excited about, and let's come on. The energy you're giving me right now, guys, I think it will be enough for my five next matches. I mean, the more you do this, the more I will win for you guys. Thank you. Well, Lightning, I come to you confused. I am a broken man because whilst I'm excited, I am just completely dismayed at the fact that the top three is changing, shifting, breaking away from the pack, but still this fight for the greatest of all time. It's Mm. confusing. I mean, Rafa has thrown the proverbial cat amongst the pigeons here by stealing a slam hot off the heels of Wimbledon, where we all know that Fed was a mere match point away from putting a greater lead between him and Rafa. So instead of it being 21-18 and Djokovic chasing the heels of those two on 15, we suddenly see Mm. that the Joker stole an extra point. So he's up to 16. Federer missed what could have been arguably his greatest career opportunity at Wimbledon. And another golden chance here at the US Open stuck on 20. And Rafa, the Spanish ninja coming from nowhere up to 19, just surprising me, hot on the heels. Who is the GOAT? Through our time watching tennis in my teenage years, in my 20s, I was always under the impression that Federer had an absolute lock on the role of goat. Mm. He was the goat. No question. Greatest of all time. Who's the goat? Who's going to be the goat? Mm. Who can claim to be the goat Mm. now? How do they decide the goat? Is there a goat? I ate goat for dinner in July when I was down in Spain. I feel guilty now. Is that disrespecting Rafa on his home turf? I don't know. Am I a vegan now? I don't know. I ate meat for lunch. I'm probably not. Um... (laughs) So I'm, I'm utterly confused by this. And, and should we even refer to it yeah. as a GOAT? I was in preparing for this episode. I thought maybe it should be, you know, the top three racketeers of all time. The throat. For me, that has a much better... <laughs> Where is this going to end? I mean, I, I thought Rafa's body was going to give in and he's winning slams mm. on hard court. That was not meant to happen. Totally. And thankfully, the roids have really kicked in. Like those arms are just <laughs> ballooning at the moment. 
<laughs> Cannot underestimate the role of science in all of this. <laughs> medical science, medical science. The weird thing is, Kat, is we need to reframe him. You know, we used to think of him as just a clay boss who'd occasionally pick up, you know, a US Open or a Wimbledon or an Oz Open as chump change that Federer or Joker were just throwing away, you know, because they just felt guilty. Mm. But here he is. He's now won more US Opens than Djokovic. So we're having to like, and Djokovic is surely one of the best hardcourt players of all time, and yet Nadal trumps him uh, for US's. So, you know, looking at some of his stats, it, it's debatable that he's perhaps had his best year on tour. He's now won two of the four slams. He's won. He's got to the semis in 10 of the 11 tournaments he's entered. He's winning everything at the moment. And this was at the point when he was supposed to fade. Djokovic was supposed to go soaring over the top and he was supposed to be left stranded in that, the, in those late teens of slams. But he's, he's going to soar over the top. And I agreed. We weren't predicting this. No, not at all. And I think, you know, as you said, he's widely regarded as the king of clay, but we shouldn't underestimate his new mantle as the Duke of the Dump. <laughs> he came out this year dressed as a purple ninja turtle, you know, branding the, <laughs> the, the purple headband, dressed as Donatello. And it kind of looked like he was playing with a weapon throughout most of them. He, he might have well have had nunchucks. It is the ultimate power move, isn't it? And then just to remind us that his body was still up for it, the fact that he breakdanced his way across to receive the trophy was just, you know, will be a lasting memory for the competitors before the Australian Open, when by then he will have gotten a fresh juice up from Uncle Tony's smoothie bar in Mallorca. (laughs) I believe it was on the ash dump, that he actually came in contact with some of the nuclear waste buried below uh, Arthur Ashfeld Stadium that turned him into uh, the Ninja Turtle that he is. So (laughs) thankfully, Uncle Tony, or Splinter, as he's referred to, (laughs) was able to pluck him up from the sewers and place him on court. I believe that's his his traditional Spanish name. (laughs) Los de Splinter. Yeah. (laughs) The fact that they had the foresight in his teenage years growing up in Mallorca to dress the ball machine as Shredder was just a great way of motivating him. Lightning, so it's a confused catus that comes to you and hopes Mm. for a sense of excitement. What are you coming on about? Well, well, I thought you'd never ask. Well, Catus, for me, yes, I'm excited by the battle at the top of the, the table between the big three. But to be honest, there's also a lethargy for many of us tennis fans that for too long, it's just been a, a competition between but three players on the men's side. We've been craving some competition. We've been wondering who's going to rise up from the, the Arthur Ashes. Mm. And in this US Open, we got really excited because a couple of players on both on the men's side and the women's have actually started to show something. So on the men's side, we have this bloke Medvedev, a bloke who forgot to pack biceps to the tournament, <laughs> who's who's out there wearing his grandfather's 1960s business shirt, who had a body held together with red sticky tape come the final, was down a break in the third set against Rafael Nadal, a podcast host who shall remain nameless but sits in another continent to me went to sleep when he was down a break in the third set. Lack of commitment. <laughs> and yet somehow this skinny, wiry 
piece of elastic, made it through to the fifth set in incredible fashion. And for me, Medvedev has just risen up, who's now the number four in the world to rival the big three, was just an incredible story. So that's on the men's side. And then on the women's side, Cutters, Serena, is she going to walk in and just take the cup unchallenged? No, a 19-year-old. Bianca Andreescu nips at her heels and takes out the greatest female player of all time. Great stories, Kat, is Medvedev getting to the fifth set and Andrescu taking out Serena. But for me, what I love most is these aren't just clean-cut, pretty-boy figures that have taken to the next level. These two are like the villains of the sport. Medvedev sticking his finger up at crowds, Andrescu being known as a drama queen and, and called arrogant by some and over-self-confident. And they're the players threatening the best in the business. That's what I'm so excited about, Kat, is that it's the villains following the Curios message and doing everything Curios has done, but actually still remembering to win tennis matches. <laughs> it's just been really exciting to see. Good guys don't finish first, and that's something that we we have always known. And the second thing we've also known is that gaffer tape does wonders for anything in life. And... <laughs> Man, what a sponsorship opportunity. I heard to actually get sponsorship, there's a heck of a lot of red tape to get through. <laughs> Speaking of which, I mean, just his ability to just pull Gaffer left, right and center across his legs and essentially <laughs> propel himself into the final. It was unbelievable. I mean, I worry that post-match, he just went out the back, pulled off some of the Gaffer and just had, to, you know, became a quadriplegic instantaneously. So hopefully they've just strapped even more on top and slowly but surely this Michelin man of an athlete is going to bulk up before our very eyes in Technicolor. <laughs> The brilliant story with Medvedev is that, let's face it, he's a Russian spy. He's charmed his way through the heart of the United States. He went from being villain number one to, after the final, receiving his runners-up trophy and giving a speech that had everyone in the Arthur Ashe Stadium and across the United States on television charmed. An absolute oh. charm offensive. I think yep. at the failure of Cambridge Analytica, this is phase two Putin propaganda. <laughs> it would not have surprised me if he just turned around and said, final comments, vote for Trump, <laughs> wink to the camera, and everyone just go, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, sure. I will cast my vote as soon as I've gone and picked up a six-pack of gaffer tape from my local hardware store because you, Andre, or Daniel, Andre, I'm going to call you Andre because you are a giant of the sport. That's your new nickname. Just brilliant. And, and Bianca Andreescu, largely aided by the fact that Let's face it, that grimace, skin, lycra, whatever outfit that Gotham City's own uh, Serena Williams was wearing took its toll by the final. And she choked, not metaphorically, but literally. Mm. The suit was too tight. She had some sort of an anaphylactic shock. Um <laughs> Well, for her, the prize money was peanuts. And so just to play the mind games before walking on court, she flipped a couple of peanuts into her mouth, doubled in size. The suit couldn't handle it. And uh, to the victor be the spoils, drama queen. I believe it was actually a black suit, but it was just on so tight that she actually just s swelled up. Some of the stats we should just communicate, Kat, is... Medvedev's won 50 times this year, the most of any player on tour, three more than Rafael Nadal. So he's just been on absolute fire. He's just killing it. And of course, Bianca Andreescu, 
She's only in her fourth Grand Slam. She's 19 years of age. She was ranked 178 12 months ago. She's now number five. She'd never played in the US Open main draw. She'd lost in the qualifying rounds in the first round of qualifying the last two years against players ranked outside the top 100. She came into this tournament, surprisingly to some, actually seen as one of the favourites to the tournament. And even with that pressure, even with the pressure of backhanders' prediction, she still managed to take out Serena in the final and the US Open with her. So that is just a remarkable story right there. Nerves of steel, my friend. Both of them. I think it's really compelling. And and you look towards next season and there's no reason why they can't both be competing for all four slams with the type of, of game they have. Medvedev, he's not an angel, let's face it. In 2017, he famously, in his round two match against Ruben Bernelmans at Wimbledon, he was discontent with the umpire and called for her to be replaced. And that wasn't going to happen. So when that didn't happen, he opened his wallet on court at the change of ends and began flipping coins (laughs) towards her chair as if to suggest she was biased. (laughs) He's unbelievable. So he doesn't try and shy away from the fact that he's had some social faux pas, to put it lightly in the past lightning, and says that he's learning to be a better person. I say, don't. Tennis needs this. And Lightning, in reference to Andreescu, would it be fair to say that she won the Battle of the Dogs? Well, you, you do have to be careful in which quarters you say that, Cutters, and uh, saying it without context, but I believe so. There's not too many players who had a dog in their entourage, but for that final, there was two, both Andreescu and Serena had their own dogs in the stands. So Andreescu had her dog Coco, who I believe is a little uh, a poodle, I believe. Is that correct, Catters? Sure. And then I think Serena had her little dog, uh, a little bit more strangely named, Christopher Chip Raphael Nadal is Serena's dog. What is she thinking, Serena? What, is there any understanding as to why she named it that? Not that I'm aware of. Um, without a, a badly played bitch gag. Um <laughs> It's never stopped us in the past. Uh, Keep an eye out for an appropriately titled meme. (laughs) Now, I'm not one for dogfighting, generally as a rule, but I just think it could really enhance the wildcard process going into tournaments. Good. uh, If you have to enter man's best friend in a a battle, and let's face it, the New York crowd, they're gagging for it. So... (laughs) Watch this space. I'm going to pitch it to the ATP or bitch it, as the case may be. First question for Nick. Do you regret going to the pub last night? Do you think you could have played a bit better if you hadn't? No. What you look you way too me? excited to ask that question. You must have a really boring life. So, Cutters, that's the big names. That's the winners of this year's tournament. Nadal and, of course, Andreescu. But there's more to it. There's more threads, strands and subplots. I want to know who is your fed up... And who is your poo-down? Lightning, I'm thinking a little bit out of the box this time around. We've already discussed the big winners out of this tournament. So I've looked a little further, a little more left of field for who I feel is fedding up. And my fed up for this week goes to one Joe Wilfried Songer, Mm. uh, the great Muhammad Ali lookalike, who's actually sporting a wonderful peroxide blonde hairdo. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. He looks like he could quite easily be at home in a boy band. He definitely didn't look at home on court as he got pantsed in the first (laughs) round. 
beaten by tennis, which is a worthy cause, my friend. He's a martyr to tennis, literally. Tennis Sengren beat him in five cool, calm, and collected sets. Um, tennis was the real winner in that match, I propose. Oh, very good, Cadiz. So Joe Songer, he didn't mope around sitting at the US Open feeling hard done by that his new haircut didn't get a decent run on commercial television. He upped, grabbed his bag, and flew straight back to France where he ended up playing in a tournament known as the Cassis Open. Beautiful part of France, I'm told. And he then played that tournament and he won that tournament right with absolute ease he actually set a record for the fastest victory in a final ever <laughs> and i just think this is genius you know taking on the little known seller the 170 odd in the world israeli player in the final and it was it was a challenger 250 tournament so unfortunately he only goes home with 250 donkey kong points and a good tan but what better way to rebound from a round one loss? So I just think it's a brilliant idea and something that other countries could be well advised to take up, you know, at least for the high profile tournaments. If their nation of origin has nothing on, plan some chump <laughs> local tournament that allows them to come home, rebound, pick up their self-confidence and get on with life. <laughs> As a Dane, are you seeing a market there for perhaps day two of any Open starting a tournament that perhaps Wozniacki could fly to and feature in? Yes, I will be launching as of January 15, which coincides with round two at the Oz Open, Copenhagen's <laughs> own Wozzy Wipeout event. <laughs> where Carolina will be taking on some former ball children from the Baltic region. It's a real pick-me-up. And on the poo down, Lightning, I think she has actually escaped our scorn and judgment over the last few months. And Surely not. Who are we talking? I just want to make sure that we get this on the record. It is none other than Angelique Kerber. Mm -hmm. She started the year... As the world number two. Yes. She's currently 17 in the world. Right. And I ask, has there been a greater fall from grace? Mm. She's taken out three different Grand Slams. So she's won the Australian Open, Wimbledon, and the US Open. She's proven herself to be more or less an all-court player. Mm. And she's just tanked this year. She's gone out in the first or second round of pretty much all the slams. She has mm. parted with her coach, Reiner Schuttler. So I'm genuinely worried about Angelique Kerber and I can only surmise that what has happened is when she shook hands, albeit begrudgingly, against Andreescu earlier this year and said to her, you're such a drama queen and walked off court, mm. one thing happened. It was like a freaky Friday where her talent was magically deposited into the body of Andreescu. And Andreescu's Canadian mentoring from Eugenie Bouchard was transferred across into Angelique Kerber, <laughs> only to doom her to tennis oblivion in that very moment. Well, Curtis, I could only suggest that how grateful a tennis world should be for the Backhanders podcast to be able to put this microphone on Kerber that I haven't heard placed, and I, I think you're onto something. I think, you know, kick it to the Kerber, I think needs to be trending. 
worldwide. The only thing going for Kerber in her defense is that Allah, my fed up songer, she has not dwelled on her loss and gone to the Chinese circuit right now. Oh, good. Where she is currently battling it out against Alison Risk and... <sighs> Good luck to her. I mean, there's no better way of recovering those ranking points than hitting the Silk Road. Absolutely. And the beautiful thing is, regardless of how well you go in the tournament, you can come home with some rippingly cheap tennis rackets that you can get <laughs> off some of those markets back there. So. Absolutely. She's actually been patrolling uh, the markets for a Rainer Schuttler knockoff, which she can pick up. <laughs> oh, the Rainer Schuttler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That- <laughs> What about you, Lightning? Who's fedding up and pooing down in your eyes? For me, uh, fedding up is a man, to be honest, I hadn't uh, seen a lot of play prior to this tournament. A man whose name is Matteo Berrettini. So he came in as the 24th seed, so reasonably placed in world's tennis, but he took his game to a whole another level. He's the first Italian man in 42 years to have advanced to the semi-final of a US Open, and here he was playing... Rafael Nadal. I mean, to have made it all the way through was was just incredible. So this guy is a real phenomenon for, for Italian tennis. You often pitch a small, scrappy, small little clay court players. This guy's six foot five. He's built like a rugby player, in the words of Jim Courier, and uh, will be remembered for taking out Gael Monfils in a thrilling five-set match, which went to tiebreaker before coming up against Rafael Nadal. But this is a man, uh, Berrettini, who in Italian means little hat, uh, which I I assume means he's part Jewish. Um, (laughs) Yes, but little hat is... is Well, Lightning, I I have to correct you there, actually, because I was in Italy over the weekend, just a little... Because I'm doing very, very well for myself. And... uh, (laughs) I verified this with an Italian friend who told me that Berrettini actually means little hats. So small difference, but I think an important distinction to make because the other one would be ridiculous, right? (laughs) And I do like in the absence of a research team that you fly to Italy to check the meanings of players' names for podcast humour. So, Look, I understand uh, that it's an investment you might not think that the podcast can (laughs) afford right now. Uh, beyond the gold-plated microphone I bought for myself recently. (laughs) Oh, dear. But Berrettini, Berrettini, who did so well until he came across uh, Rafael Nadal, a man who was his favourite player growing up, and he told the story brilliantly in an interview about how he was essentially the man who got him into tennis. Uh, When he was a young five or six or seven-year-old, he was watching Nadal when he was playing in Rome against uh, Correa, who went to this marathon match. I believe it was almost five and a half, almost six hour match. And he remembered as a five-year-old getting bored and just wanting the cartoons to come on. Unfortunately for this match, when he lost the third set 6-1, kids at home wouldn't have had time to fit in an episode of Peppa Pig during that third set. (laughs) That's very true. Very true. Are you sure it wasn't the other way around? He might be uh, struggling to remember this properly. Are you sure that it wasn't that he was watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles (laughs) and was bored waiting for the tennis to come on? (laughs) I just like the fact that as uh, the band known as uh, Little Hats, he was made to look like Witch's Hats in that third set. (laughs) yeah, if that's the only legacy he leaves to the sport, then we thank you, little hats. 
I just think as well that it's brilliant that coming across to the US, just acknowledging his own Native American Indian heritage by asking the crowd and the press to refer to him as Little Hats and my coach running bear with eagle eye just show some respect. It would be a great matchup if he took on Medvedev and Allah, the wrestler, that he came out with little hats, removed them on the court, and then Medvedev thought that it was some sort of street performance trick and started dropping coins in all the hats and were like, guys, can we just start a tennis match? And Catters, for me, uh, it's a poo down I'm not proud to give, and that is... Uh, a woman who has done tremendously well of late, and that is King Wang. Mm. King Wang, uh, who we featured on this podcast in glowing terms, did exceptionally well to get deep into the tournament until she ran into the brick wall that was Serena Williams. Mm. And then Serena Williams took her out in 44 minutes. Yet, check these stats out, Cutters. In the last set, Wang hit zero winners. She had zero winners other than having the surname Wang. So you could say she had one winner. So Williams, by contrast, had 25 winners. Williams only lost four points in the second set. She won 90% of her first serves. And essentially, just on the other side of the court was a limp Wang. It was just... Gosh, I haven't seen a wang as deflated as that after 44 minutes since your wedding night. (laughs) Uh, Oh, sorry, was that (laughs) 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 4.4? It's funny because we both think you're impotent. (laughs) Oh, dear. Any chance you'll be uh, visiting Uncle Tony's online boutique anytime soon, Lightly? Perhaps, perhaps. But to move away as quickly as possible from the Wang references, this was a game in which Wang was completely overplayed. You could say Serena could easily have been arrested for assault in this game. It was an absolute shellacking. Now, usually it would not surprise me if Serena has to come out and apologize for spanking someone else's kid in public. Like this was just an absolute Shermozzle. I did so. hear in the press conference afterwards, there was a, I might get this wrong. He might've been either German or Dutch, but he definitely had a central European accent. And he asked Serena, you know, was it different coming up against this Chinese girl? <laughs> and I thought, there's something about that that doesn't sit well with me. Firstly, <laughs> the fact that you just referred to her blanketly by her country of origin. And secondly, you have the opportunity to throw in a Wang pun. And you don't take it. Like, rip that man's press pass off his chest and staple gun it to my heart, for goodness sakes. Absolutely. And I think Indian man from our previous podcast would totally agree with that too, Cutters. So, Cutters, that's my poo down. I feel like it's important to just slide in one other quick reference, and I'm sure you'll be right there with me. Uh, Sasha Zvarev, have you... Are you familiar with him? He used to play tennis, or he does play tennis until about the third or fourth round of most tournaments. Yeah, no, I haven't actually thought about him since I burnt that effigy down the main street of Copenhagen (laughs) uh, at the time of Wimbledon. So, lightning, when I say someone's dead to me, I ain't toying. (laughs) 
Cutters, I won't labour the point. He is featured in almost every single one of our poo downs, but Zverev this year was just struggled in every single match, even against absolute chumps, was still being taken to four or five, probably even six sets. It would not have surprised me. <laughs> this year, he was sent out. He was sent packing by a man a foot shorter than him. Do yourself a favour. Google Schwartzman v Zvarev. Zvarev is six foot six. Schwartzman five foot five. It was incredible. He got absolutely done. Bounced out of the tournament way earlier than he should have again. Zvarev. So Schwartzman, I believe. I think that's German for short man. <laughs> I believe. Um, well, lightning. I might just have to take a cheeky trip to Berlin to verify that. <laughs> Catter's Mixed Troubles, a segment in which we look not only to what's happening on court, but also off court. Catter's What's been happening we need to be made aware of? Lightning, you know I keep a keen eye on the players' social media accounts, whether it's Boris Becker slowly going mad or the flying Russian monkey, Marit Safin. But in this case, Arena Sabalenka, a player who enjoyed a meteoric rise last year, but has had a very disappointing 2019. I was drawn to her account recently where she unfortunately has decided to split from the coach that took her on the rise in 2017-18, Dmitry Tursunov, former player. Mm. And she announced this on Instagram in what can only be described as a very short and professional message to the public where she posted a picture of herself with... Tursunov and wrote, thank you for everything and all the best in your future. So fairly cold made us believe that there's something more to the story. So a day or two after that, she posted what can only be described as a rather cryptic long message late in the evening. She had posted four or five very chummy pics with Dimitri, almost looked like a montage sequence from a 1970s coming-of-age comedy uh, where he's got her in pigtails and they're looking at each other, running through fields of golden wheat. It was nothing short of creepy. And she said, found some better pics with D. I just want to say, I don't know what's happening right now. Question emoji. Seems like we're crazy. Swearing emoji. One day everything will be okay. Another day we want to kill each other. But I want to say I love him as a coach and trust him more than others. And I feel we can grow together and reach our goals. And I don't want to see somebody else by my side. And he keeps saying, I don't feel as though you really need me. <laughs> really need you? It's like reading a Trump tweet here. But I need that Dimitri who was in the beginning of our relationship. Strong, smart, calm. And I don't know the real man, real coach. I know some people will think, who? Dimitri is smart, strong, and calm. No, that's impossible. But I know your real personality. <laughs> oh, talk about a backhanded compliment. Uh, we went through so many things. And after we went to hospital, because something weird happened with Jason, I was really afraid. I, okay, again, we don't know who Jason is. This is like a Latino <laughs> melodrama soap opera. Um, so after we went to hospital with Jason, I was really afraid that something dangerous happened to him. I look at you guys and realize you're my biggest power and support. I don't want to lose you. Just wanted to say it. I know it sounds weird. I like we are a couple that have been together for 30 years, but I think relationships between players is something similar to this. 
I don't know. Probably he'll kill me after he read this. Before you kill me, just want to say, sorry, shrug shoulders emoji. I wrote it at 11.45 p.m. So maybe because here is a lot of motions. Lovely cloud thought emoji. So Irina Savalenka, to you I say, if you're not in mixed troubles, you ought to be. Please don't patronize me. I, I would have no, no. You are in the way you're oh, asking your, in the way you're asking your question. You have been quite disrespectful, and you are patronising me. I'm a professional competitor who did her best today. Well, Cutters, a cracking US Open in the end. So wonderful stories. We leave with Andreescu as the champion. Rafael Nadal racking up Slam number nineteen. A whole host of other stories. But Cutters, for you. What personally will you remember most about this year's tournament? Well, Lightning, aside from the revelation that there is a time capsule that will not be uncovered under Arthur Ashe dump for the next 6,000 years, which I found really hard to get over when I was watching the matches, to be honest. I was pretty distracted along the way. I think uh, there was some good tennis, which was a bonus. I cast my mind back to the opening round. You know, Serena walking out with her cape, dressed as the the grimace of Gotham, uh, adding to that long list of superlatives on her cape, goddess, mother, and now etched in there will be Russia Crusher as she just (laughs) pole-drived poor Maria into the dirt. I think that was a good start to the tournament. We like to see it get nasty. Putin's man, you can't go much past him. Uh, The babushka doll of the baseline. Medvedev just proved himself to be an impenetrable force. He was. And he did seem like the smallest part of that babushka doll uh, that the four other shells had been taken off him and it was only the skinny remains of the middle one. The, the fact that at the opening draw announcement that he, he actually climbed out of Berrettini's chest was a nice touch, uh, <laughs> an unexpected one to say the least. Uh, when they said that Barrettini was a Trojan horse for a better player, I didn't realize it was that literal, uh, that he would give birth to a Russian spy, but each to their own. Great tournament all in all. Um, we, we also saw the birth of the AI, as we said earlier, that IBM had that facial recognition technology, which uh, was working all the way up to the finals where too many dogs in the crowd scrambled the technology. <laughs> And uh, folks that were expecting to see a highlights reel ended up only seeing the first 20 minutes of Lassie, which was unfortunate. (laughs) But it's been getting a lot of hits on YouTube, that fantastic dog (laughs) montage they've put together. How about you, Lightning? What will you remember this tournament for? (laughs) Oh, it's hard to top that, Catters. The courts on the ash dump were, were paid out on for being dead due to the nuclear waste seeping up through the surface. So right from the start, we were you know, led to believe that this was going to be a, a torturous challenge for, for you know, only the bravest to, to make it through. And Dimitrov, a surprise packet, made it all the way through to the end. The tournament, a man dressed up as a purple Power Ranger, continuing the bizarre theme of the US Open to, to turn the Open purple. I'm not quite sure where that comes from or why purple is the colour of choice, but Dimitrov rocked it. Something he didn't rock, though, Catters, was having his own coaches there with him this year at the tournament. So uh, Andre Agassi and uh, Stepanek, his two coaches, and they chose yeah, not to not to go this year. You know, a little busy, 
had a bit on, continuing from the Lendl book of coaching and coaching by default, coaching via Skype. The excuse works if your coach comes from some distant lands, but when Andre Agassi's backyard backs on to the ash dump and then still chooses not to be there for his man, you've got to wonder if something's up. Yeah, when your coach isn't prioritising one of the four slams on a calendar year, you've got to think that they don't see <laughs> a lot of potential in you. <laughs> So we're hoping that uh, Dimitrov can read the signs, and if not, perhaps read Sabalenka's upcoming book. Um, <laughs> yeah, Diaries of a Wimpy Coach. <laughs> so backhanders, listeners, that's it for the year. We've taken you through the four slams. We've even gone through the French Open with you, the things that we do for you, our dear listeners. So please do us a favour. Thank you for coming along for the ride, but let it be known if you could give us an iTunes review. That'll help us out heaps so that others can jump on board, recommend us to your mates, slip it onto other people's phones when they're not watching, do whatever you have to do to spread the backhanders' love and make sure you jump on Instagram and Facebook to hear when you'll hear from us next. We'd uh, love you to keep coming along for the journey as we take this into 2020 beyond catters. Yeah, I was just going to say, unlike Bouchard's form, we'll be back in 2020 and really looking forward to it. <laughs> so until next time, Backhanders fans, thank you so much for coming along for the ride, for listening, for jumping on and uh, throwing in your contributions to the podcast. There'll be more of it in the years to come. But until then, quiet, please.